welcome to Bite Size Battles. It's the summer of the year 376, and the sailors of the Roman navy on the river Danube were waking to a sunny morning, promising another quiet day. But it wasn't going to be a quiet day. Sometime in the morning, a horde of Goths arrived on the north bank of the river. That is, the opposite side of the Roman frontier. A Roman historian, Ammianus Marcellinus, says that their number was countless. Another source says that there were 200,000 of them. But they weren't aggressive and they weren't making war. With desperation etched on their faces, they were asking for asylum. And what quickly became clear was that they represented two entire tribes of Goths on the move en masse. Two whole nations uprooted themselves, left their homelands and walked hundreds of miles to the Roman border. Now they were pleading to be let in. The Goths brought with them tales of a storm of heavy fighting north of the Black Sea. What those Roman sailors of the Danube couldn't have known was that that storm would cause such profoundly devastating repercussions that just 100 years later, the Western Roman Empire would cease to exist. Welcome to the fall of Rome. The Roman Empire was one of the largest and most advanced civilizations for its day that has ever existed. At its height, it stretched from northern England to the Sahara Desert, and from the Atlantic coasts of Spain and North Africa to the Euphrates River in modern-day Iraq. In all, five million square kilometres called themselves Roman. At a time when many of its neighbours were still living semi-pastoral or nomadic lives, Rome was building aqueducts which covered vast distances so vast that its network would not be surpassed in distance or the amount of water carried until the 1800s. Rome set the foundation stones of modern-day law, its architecture and culture still inspires today, and, barring some notable setbacks, its military swept all before it for hundreds of years. So how did such a successful state that existed for over a millennia from the legendary founding of Rome in 753 BC, finally crumble into oblivion. This new series, The Fall of Rome, will look at the colossal struggle as the Roman Empire fought for its life, and how even as late as 468, its demise was far from a foregone conclusion. Because the surge of would-be immigrant Goths had arrived on the Danube, it was the Eastern Roman Emperor Valens who had to deal with them. And Valens had a problem. Most of his troops were on his eastern front facing the Persians. Valens had been in a tug of war with the Persians over several provinces and didn't want to back down. Such posturing, though, required some appropriate military muscle. So the Roman Balkan and Thrace regions south of the Danube had been stripped of men and sent to look menacing in the east. So, when the Goths arrived on the frontier, the authorities were nervous. 
they simply didn't have enough armed force in the region to ensure that such a large group of Goths would stay peaceful, even if they were asking for asylum. So, at first, they were kept waiting on the other side of the river. But because the Goths were promising Valens men for the Roman army and gold for the treasury, he was keen to do a deal. They were allowed to cross into the empire, and the Roman propaganda machine sold it to the population that the Goths had surrendered to the might of the emperor. But the reality was that the Roman authorities weren't nearly as happy as the propagandists would have you believe. With such large numbers of what the Romans considered barbarians within the empire while the main Roman army was mobilised elsewhere, they were worried. Usually, they would have split large tribes up and spread them throughout the empire but they didn't have the troops in the region to enforce it. Having a large and ably led force on your territory was the stuff of nightmare for Roman leaders, even if that force had been asking to be let in and was apparently friendly. So, the Romans fell back on another tried and tested strategy for controlling large groups of immigrants. Assassinate their leaders. The Roman commander of the local forces, a certain Lupicinus, invited the principal Gothic chiefs to a party, all neighbourly-like. All the while, secretly posted Roman soldiers were getting their sword arms ready. But the attack was botched, and at least one of the Gothic leaders escaped, their king, Fritigan. Declaring war as he escaped the ambush, he and his Goths spent the rest of the night pillaging the local area. Somehow, the Romans had turned grateful asylum seekers into enraged enemies. And they were inside the empire. The very next morning, Lupicinus rushed his available forces to confront them and was quickly overwhelmed. There were almost no Roman survivors from an estimated 5,000-man army. Lupicinus had unleashed the rage of the Goths and then utterly failed to put it down. Now, there was no major Roman force left in the Balkans at all, and the Goths rampaged throughout this unprotected and vulnerable underbelly of empire for two whole years. Ammianus Marcellinus says that the Goths spread out over every quarter of Thrace. Without distinction of age or sex, all places were ablaze with slaughter and great fires. Babies were torn from the very breasts of their mothers and slain. Matrons and widows whose husbands had been killed before their very eyes were carried off. Boys of tender age were dragged away over the dead bodies of their parents. Many older men, lamenting that they had lived long enough after losing their possessions and their beautiful women, were led into exile with their arms pinioned behind their backs, weeping over the glowing ashes of their ancestral homes. The Goths had faced hardships when they had first been admitted to the empire. Food shortages, demands that they hand over their women in payment of meagre supplies, and then a botched assassination attempt. Now, the undefended civilian population of Thrace bore the full brunt of the Gothic resentment. By the time Valens had heard what had happened, the damage had been done. 
but Valens made a hasty peace with the Persian king of kings, Shapur, and moved his main army back to the Balkans with all speed. At the same time, he sent messengers asking for help from the Western Roman emperor, Gratian, who promptly sent a large army with top generals to assist. The plans are easy enough to decipher. The two emperors were amassing enough troops to utterly crush the Gothic army, at which point it would be business as usual. The majority of Goths would be distributed as slaves throughout the empire, some might be drafted into the army, and the rest would die in amphitheatres for the amusement of the masses. But of course, no plan survives contact with the enemy. Gratian had to withdraw his army to beat down some Alamannic threats to Gaul, and the Goths themselves had found allies in the form of a large group of Alans who had just recently been mercenaries for the Romans and had now switched sides, sniffing opportunity for plunder on the wind. Alans were nomadic warriors from the great Eurasian steppe, who fought from horseback with powerful bows. Valens should have been worried, but he wasn't. And he was in no mood to wait, eager for glory and overconfident in his numbers. He had possibly 30,000 men and thought the Goths had only 10,000. So he rushed his ego and his army into battle in August 378, just a few short miles from a city called Adrianople. To get there in time, he had forced marched his men for eight hours in searing summer heat. To make matters worse, the Goths knew they were coming and had set fires which blew smoke and heat into their faces. The Romans were tired, hungry and thirsty, Marcellinus telling us that they were exhausted by their dry throats. Nevertheless, he goes on, while the barbarian soldiers, according to their custom, uttered savage and dismal howls, Valen's army arranged itself in typical fashion. Roman heavy infantry in the centre, lighter infantry either side, and cavalry on the wings. To begin with, it seemed the Romans would sweep all before them, with the left wing surging forward, pushing the Goths right back to a wagon circle they had built to support their battle line. But that surge exposed the Roman flank, and it was from the left that disaster now struck. Hidden Gothic and Alan cavalry suddenly emerged out of thin air, a full 10,000 strong. Just imagine Valen's face when he saw them and realised his mistake. They drove off their Roman counterparts and smashed full tilt into the unprotected flank of the left wing, which was now trapped between the defenders of the wagon circle and this cavalry thunderbolt. Marcellinus tells us that the left wing was crushed and overwhelmed, and its collapse exposed the heavy Roman centre's flank to the same disastrous cavalry strike. The effect was catastrophic. Marcellinus tells us that the barbarians, pouring forth in huge hordes, trampled horse and man, and the Roman companies were so crowded together that hardly anyone could pull out his sword or draw back his arm. Because of clouds of dust, the heavens could no longer be seen, and echoed with frightful cries. Arrows whirling death from every side always found their mark with fatal effect. 
the heavy infantry of the centre, usually so decisive for the Romans, could not manoeuvre effectively, and their advantage in arms, training and tactics now counted for nothing in the crush. Exhausted as they were by the forced march, the heat and the savagery of the battle itself, their units crumpled, and as the main battle line broke, so too did the rest of the army. The result was a bloodbath. It's impossible for any man to outrun cavalry, let alone armoured and exhausted men, and the heavy Roman infantry was hunted down without mercy. It's possible two-thirds of the entire Roman force was killed, some 20,000 men. Incredibly, the Emperor Valens was among them. To this day, we don't know for sure what happened to him, only that he was killed in the savage frenzy of death. His body was never found. The Eastern Roman Emperor was dead at the hands of Goths, and its main army annihilated. The Goths would continue to rampage across Thrace, the Balkans and Greece for four more years, before finally making peace with Valens' successor, Theodosius I, in 382. In fact, they became Roman allies, being given land of their own within the empire's borders in exchange for promises of military support. But this show of amicability should not shroud the catastrophic reality of what had happened. For the first time in Rome's history, the empire had been compelled to accept a large foreign force of immigrants to settle within the empire en masse, rather than splitting the group up and settling them piecemeal throughout. The full significance of this development would play out over the next 100 years. Indeed, while most of the Gothic War had taken place in the Eastern Empire, when the Goths turned nasty again, it was to be the Western Roman Empire which would feel its full force, threatening the city of Rome itself and eventually striking a mortal blow to an already ailing empire. That's all to come, but this story has much more to it than the Goths alone. Join us next time for a full-scale invasion of the Roman West across another of the empire's frontiers, the River Rhine. Hundreds of thousands of men, women and children poured into Gaul where they caused massive devastation and triggered the huge provinces of Britain, Spain and much of Gaul to fall out of the empire's control altogether. It was the same storm which had caused the Goths to flee that had now set these dominoes falling in the West. Find out why in our second episode of The Fall of Rome, Splintering, the Rhine Invasion of Gaul. Thanks for listening. See you then.